I think we need to give a special thank you to the worship team this morning. Great job, everybody. Those guys did great. And I am so excited for Arts for Pensacola. Two words, mime team. Right? Come on, we just need one more mime, and then we're in. Well, we're doing a series on the topic of prayer. We're looking at what the Bible says about prayer by walking through some of the greatest prayers in all of Scripture. And this morning, we're coming to part two of the Lord's Prayer, which is arguably the greatest prayer ever prayed, certainly the most well-known prayer offered in response to the disciples' request that Jesus would teach them how to pray. So we're going to give our attention to the reading of God's Word, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 9, and we're going to read to the end of the prayer in verse 13. This is God's Word. Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. O Lord our God, we thank you for this majestic prayer that you have taught us, your disciples, to pray. I pray, Lord God, that as we learn to pray then like this, we would each be able to translate this prayer into the language of our hearts that we might pray it authentically. Lord, change our hearts and change our lives as we learn to pray as you, Lord Jesus, have taught your people to pray. Hear our prayers now. We ask simply that you would speak for we, your servants, listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Jerry Seinfeld has a bit in one of his stand-up comedy routines where he talks about the difference between parents and children. For children, everything is up. For kids, they don't just want to grow, they want to grow up. They don't just want you to wait, they want you to wait up. Wait up! They don't, they, when you say it's time for you to go to sleep, they don't just want to stay awake for a little while. They want to stay up. It's all about up. Their whole world is up. For parents, it's all about down. Sit down. Slow down. Calm down. Put that down. Last week, we saw that God is our Father. And we are as adopted children because of Jesus. We have been adopted into the family of God through Him. Because of Jesus, we are forgiven. Because of Jesus, we are loved. Because of Jesus, we are celebrated and accepted. We can pray because of Jesus, our Father in heaven. 
So how do we, the adopted children of God, pray to our Father in heaven? We look up. We look up to the God who is holy, and we pray, hallowed be your name. We look up to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and we pray, your kingdom come. We look up to the God who has a plan. A plan that is so much better than our plans. And we say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We look up and see the face of the Father who loves us. We look up and we feel the hands, the nail-pierced hands of the Savior who died for us. We look up and we hear the voice of the Spirit who fills us with joy and laughter and peace and celebration. When we pray like Jesus, we pray for the glory of God. We pray for the kingdom of God. We pray for the will of God. So what does that mean? How do we pray for the glory of God? How do we know what God's will is? How do we seek Him and His kingdom first, knowing that all of these things will be added to us as well? If you're taking notes this morning, very simple outline. We're just going to walk through the first three petitions or requests in the prayer. First, we're going to learn how to pray, hallowed be your name. Second, we'll learn to pray, thy kingdom come. And third, we'll learn to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before we ask God to meet our needs, before we ask God for health and wealth and happiness, before we ask God for bigger houses and faster cars, or bigger muscles and smaller waistlines, we ask God for God. What does that mean? How do we do that? Lord, teach us how to pray. He can. He will. Let's take a closer look. We begin with the very first request in the prayer after the initial address, which is, hallowed be thy name. Now, what does it mean to hallow God's name? Well, to hallow something means to treat it as holy, to treat it as sacred or ultimate. When we pray this prayer, we're praying, God, may your name be sacred. God, may your name be the name that is above every name. May people tremble in awe and wonder. May they rejoice and melt as they see your glory fill the earth. When they see and discover the wonder of who you are. In the aftermath of the 9-11 terrorist attacks in New York City, I was living in New York City at that time, many people referred to Ground Zero as hallowed ground. It's hallowed because so many innocent people died there. It's sacred. It's hallowed because in that place, 
so many people exhibited selfish, selfless, sacrificial love by running into those burning buildings to save their fellow New Yorkers that it became a special place, a place that is no longer ordinary. That ground is distinct and different. It would be outrageous in the aftermath of 9-11 to say, well, why don't we build a movie theater on that location? Hey, you know what? New York City could really use another Starbucks. And now we got some open real estate, so we'd put it right there. That would be unthinkable. Because that ground is hallowed ground. Now, back to the prayer. How do we hallow God's name? How do we exalt God's name? How do we magnify and glorify God's name? How do we show the world how amazing and awesome God really is? Facebook ads? Maybe we could hire a a skywriter to fly over Pensacola Beach. Maybe Christian-themed tattoos. (laughs) Christian t-shirts, lawn signs. Who doesn't love lawn signs? Now, none of those things are bad. I have some Christian t-shirts in my arsenal of t-shirts. David and Sean have some Christian-themed tattoos. We've even done lawn signs, and people came to church because of the lawn signs. We want people to see the glory of God. There are so many creative ways that we can hallow God's name. But this morning, I want to focus on two big categories of hallowing God's name, and that's our worship and our week. What we do here together on Sunday morning when we gather to worship God, and then what we do with the rest of our week from Monday to Saturday as we live for the glory of God. Everything, I think the most powerful way that we can hallow God's name is through our worship. We hallow God's name when we come together as God's people to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We hallow God's name when we sing God's praises together. We hallow God's name when we pray faithful, expectant prayers. We hallow God's name when we study God's word together. Everything we do on Sunday, whether it's worship and Sunday school or youth group or Sunday night live, the preaching, the teaching, the sacraments, the prayers, the fellowship meals that we have together, it's all about the glory of God. It's all about Jesus who died so that we might live. Now, the second way that we hallow God's name is through the things that we do throughout our week. When we pray this prayer, we're praying, God, may everything that I do from Monday to Saturday and Sunday afternoon when we're tipping the waiter after lunch, may all of it show the world how glorious and gracious and generous and hospitable you are. May my marriage display your steadfast, covenant, chesed love. May the way that I parent my children be a picture of the gospel of your grace. 
May, I, may it be emblematic of your patience. May it be emblematic of your joy, Lord God, as we take even the, the most simple, stumbling steps toward you in prayer. Jesus, may I treat my friends the way you treated your friends, speaking the truth in love. May my work relationships bring honor and glory to you, whether I'm dealing with someone who is my superior or whether I'm dealing with someone who is my inferior. May the things that I post online bring honor and glory to your name. May they be constructive and helpful. May the things, my emails and text messages, be loving and thoughtful, not negative, brief, but loving and kind. This is a hard prayer to pray because most of the time we want to hallow our own names. Most of the time we live for our own glory. Most of the time it's all about me, my kingdom. Am I being respected? Am I being loved? Am I being honored? Am I receiving the credit that I so richly deserve? When we are being, being hallowed, when we are being glorified, we're happy. We're content. We're joyful. We're even. We're on top of the world. Conversely, when we're not being hallowed, we're sad, angry, irritable, solemn, depressed, in our relentless search for glory. Hallowed be my name. We ride the roller coaster of highs and lows. We're up, we're down, we're all over the place emotionally and spiritually because we're so concerned about what other people have to say about us. We're so concerned about what we feel about ourselves day in and day out. It, it's a mess. Here's the good news of the gospel. If you are in Christ, if you have been united to Jesus through faith, you can get off the roller coaster. Your name has already been hallowed. Your name has already been glorified. You are holy. You do have an everlasting name. You have Jesus' holiness. You have his name and his reputation. Because of Jesus, we are celebrated. Because of Jesus, we are loved. Because of Jesus, we are accepted. The gospel says you are now free to make much of Jesus, knowing that Jesus has made much of you. Hallowed be his name. Now, the second request is, your kingdom come. The Bible is very clear that Jesus is our king. He's a perfect king. He's a mighty king. He's a gracious king. He's a glorious king. He's a wise king. He's an omniscient king. He is an eternal king. He's the king who gets justice for the oppressed. He's the king who sets the prisoner free. He is the king who will bring peace on earth. And we, as his people, are citizens of his kingdom. The apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, Once 
you were not a people. Once you were not citizens of the kingdom of God. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy. But now, as citizens of God's kingdom, you have received mercy. In God's kingdom, everything sad will come untrue. In God's kingdom, everything that is broken will come back together again. In God's kingdom, there's healing. In God's kingdom, there is wholeness. In God's kingdom, there is beauty and joy and laughter and celebration. In God's kingdom, there are no more time changes. In God's kingdom, you never need a new transmission. You never need to replace your washer and your dryer. Your dog never has an accident on the carpet. And you never chip a tooth. Now, the last two things happened to me and my carpet just this week. Now, how could that be? I thought that Jesus was the king. I thought we're talking about the kingdom of God. I thought he's going to make everything right in the end. I've been praying this prayer for 45 years. Why is it that things still break? Why is it that I still break things? Here's what we need to understand. The kingdom of God is an already and not yet kingdom. What does that mean? The kingdom of God has already come in the person of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came, he said, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so every time we see people loving and serving in Jesus' name, every time we see someone serve a meal to a hungry person, every time we see someone give clothing or blankets or shelter to a homeless person, every time we see hospitality and encouragement and love, we are seeing little glimpses of the kingdom of God. We are seeing the already kingdom of God breaking loose in our own world. But the kingdom of God is also a not yet kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has not yet come in its fullness and will not come in its fullness until Jesus comes again. Because the kingdom is an already kingdom, we can expect great things. Because the kingdom of God is a not yet kingdom, we know that the best is yet to come. When we pray, thy kingdom come, what we're really praying is a prayer asking God to make this world much more like his world, his kingdom. We're saying make this world happy. Make this world healthy. Bring justice down from heaven onto earth. May the worship that we experience here on earth be akin to the worship we will experience in heaven where all of God's people are gathered around the throne of God forever and ever. Now, what does that look like? For William Wilberforce, it looked like the abolition of slavery in much of the European world. For Elizabeth Fry, it looked like reforming the prison system in England. 
For Florence Nightingale, it looked like reimagining nursing and health care. For Martin Luther King Jr., it looked like the end of segregation and his dream that one day we would live in a world where people, all people, are judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. That dream is a kingdom dream. For Mother Teresa of Calcutta, it looked like bringing love and embrace to the poorest of the poor on the streets of Calcutta. For Jesus, it meant kneeling down and washing his disciples' feet. For Jesus, thy kingdom come meant healing the sick and raising the dead. For Jesus, thy kingdom come meant having meals with tax collectors and prostitutes and other notorious figures in the community, not caring at all what the religious people would say about him. For you, it might mean transforming your house or your apartment into an embassy of God's grace where you entertain guests in the name of the king. For you, it might mean asking, how might the kingdom of God become more real in my workplace, at my school, in my family? When we pray this prayer, we're saying, Lord, I renounce my kingdom. Lord, I give up any pretense to the throne. I want my world and my church and my life to be shaped by the values of your kingdom. Your kingdom come, not mine, yours. The third request is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is God's will? How are we to think about God's will? People ask me questions all the time about God's will assuming that I have some sort of answer, and sometimes I do, but not always. Is it God's will for me to take this job out of state? I don't know. Maybe. Is it God's will for me to buy a new Tesla? I think so. Kate disagrees. Is it God's will for me to date this person? Now, if you have to ask, the answer is probably no. I mean, I hate to break it to you, but that's usually God's will. Break up. Thomas Watson, who was a Puritan and lived in the 1600s, had this to say about God's will. I think it's very helpful. He writes, when you pray, thy will be done, Jesus is telling you to pray for two things. You're praying that you might do diligently all that he commands— and that you might also submit patiently to all that he inflicts. Here's what he's saying. Whenever we talk about God's will, we're talking about a two-sided coin. On one side of the coin, we have God's revealed will. There's a sense in which God's will is revealed very, very clearly on the pages of the Scripture. Does God want me to pray more? Yes, he does. It's in the Bible. Does God want me to move in with my girlfriend? No, absolutely not. Again, it's in the Bible. That's God's revealed will. 
Now on the other side of the coin, we have God's hidden will. God's hidden will is much more mysterious. It's shrouded in mystery. Consider the story of Joseph from the book of Genesis. Joseph's brothers defied God's revealed will by beating Joseph, throwing him into the pit, taking his coat, and selling him into slavery. You should not do that, okay? That is a sin. They violated God's revealed will. But, in so doing, they fulfilled God's hidden will. Because of their sinful actions, which were violation of God's revealed will, God brought Joseph to Egypt. He was thrown in prison, he interpreted some dreams, he came out of prison, he became essentially the vice president or prime minister of all the nation of Israel, of Egypt, and he was in a place to save the people of Israel during a time of famine. And at the end of the story, in Genesis 50, Joseph reflects on all of this, and he says, what you, to his brothers, what you have intended for evil, God has intended for good. In other words, you violated God's revealed will. You sinned against me. But you fulfilled God's hidden will, his mysterious will, in order to bring salvation to Israel. Again, we see it in the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus was crucified by sinful men who committed the ultimate act of blasphemy against God by crucifying the Son of God on the cross. And yet Peter, reflecting on this, says he was delivered up according to the definite plan and purpose of God. That was God's plan, to redeem a people for himself through the death of Jesus, thus fulfilling the hidden will of God. The proper response to God's revealed will is obedience. When God speaks, we obey. The proper response to God's hidden will is submission. Even when we don't understand what God is doing in the world, even though we don't understand what God is doing in our lives, we submit to God, praying, Thy will be done. Even if we don't agree with God's revealed will, we obey. Even if we don't understand His hidden will, we submit. That's what Thomas Watson is saying. Now that sounds good on paper, but in the real world, it's very, very difficult. How many of us always do what the Bible says? Again, keeping in mind that lying is a sin, okay? Ninth commandment. I didn't put it in there. I'm just, I'm reporting the news, okay? I don't always do what God says. I, I study the Bible all the time. Do we always Just willingly accept everything that happens in our life without any complaint at all and say, oh, thank you, this happened. It's all part of your will. I don't. That's a a more serious example, but just this past week, one of Kate's good friends, Nancy, died. She was a young person, I mean, in her 40s. Tragic accident, just a great pillar of the community, did so much good work for so many people. It's so easy for us to question, God, why would you allow this to happen? How could this be part of your will? Very difficult. 
even if we know on an intellectual level that God has reasons for saying what he says and doing what he does, it's still hard to say, thy will be done. It's still hard to obey. It's still hard to submit. Why? Well, I think that it's hard to pray this prayer because we secretly, or maybe not so secretly, want our own will to be done. When we disagree with God's will, what we're really saying is, God, I think you're wrong. And frankly, if I was in charge, I wouldn't have done it that way. Yeah, I know what the Bible says about this topic or that topic, but I don't know, if I was writing it, I wouldn't have made that a sin. I mean, isn't that just not? People do that all the time. Ah, what's the big deal? We say, well, if I was in charge, my friend wouldn't have died. If I was in charge, this tornado wouldn't have happened. If I was in charge, we wouldn't have had this fight or disagreement or enmity. Here's Tim Keller on this. Very helpful. He reminds us, the purpose of prayer, as Jesus gives it to us, is not that we would bend God's will to meet ours, but that we melt and soften our will into God's. It's very practical. When we pray, my will be done, we become anxious, we become angry, we tend to get in fights with other people and disagreements with other people because in the end, there can only be one king. And we're trying to fight for our kingdom, and they're trying to fight for their kingdom, and our will and their will, it's a disaster. It's a mess. When we say, thy will be done, we can relax. We can breathe. God's revealed will can be known. We have God's word. God's hidden will can be trusted because we have God's son. The perfect fulfillment of God's will. When we pray with Jesus, he teaches us to pray Hallowed be your name. May I glorify God in my work, in my week, in everything that I do. We pray, thy kingdom come. May God make this world more and more like his world. Thy will be done. May we obey God's word and trust God's plan. Again, these are hard things to pray until we remember the person who is teaching us this prayer. Jesus had a name that was above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And yet, he became lowly and weak. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. The King of Kings the name above every names was born in a, in a barn in a tiny city, the city of Bethlehem. And through his humiliation, we have exaltation. Jesus is a king, and yet he came to become a servant, a slave. As Charles Wesley put it, he left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace emptied himself so great his love and bled for Adam's chosen race. Jesus humbly and obediently submitted to God's will 
we'll learn after Easter the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Because of his perfect obedience, because of his perfect sacrifice on the cross, there's hope for forgiveness for all of us who have violated the tenets of this prayer. But there's also hope for change. God can make us this kind of person. God can enable us to pray these kind of world-changing prayers. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for this brilliant and beautiful prayer that you taught the disciples to pray. Lord, I know how often I, when we pray this prayer together, simply just mouth the words without really thinking about the profound, sublime truths contained in this prayer. Lord, I I am finite and fallen, as are all of us, finite, fallen people. And so I pray you would teach us to pray. Lord, may we become like little children in our prayers. May our faith overwhelm our doubts. May the light of your salvation overwhelm the darkness of guilt and shame. May our own myopic vision of what the world could be, our own tiny little kingdom, our cul-de-sac, be blown wide open so that we can see what a joy it is to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. These are not things that we can do. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would descend upon us and fill our hearts and clothe us that we might pray as Jesus taught the disciples to pray. Mm -hmm. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.